Hello, and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. We need an easy friend. I'm Pete. I'm Bob. And today we have a special guest, uh, my old friend and friend of the pod, John Valkos. Hey, John. Hello. How you guys doing? Good, John. Uh, as as Pete informed us, we we met uh, twenty lifetimes ago. Uh, it's yeah. nice. Yeah. It's nice to talk to you again. Um, and uh, the record I think we're talking about today, it was like um, it was like kind of uh, re meeting someone you met twenty years ago. To me, there was a a little element where I hadn't sat with this in such a long time, but it was a really pleasant experience. So, John, I'm wishing a very nirvana bleach to our experience today (laughs) awesome (laughs) john do you know why i invited you on here um i'm assuming i'm probably of your friend group probably one of the bigger nirvana fans in your group you're probably the biggest you're probably the biggest nirvana (laughs) fan i know i think they're your favorite band am i wrong uh you are not wrong you are very correct i I was actually very excited i've been doing research i've I've listened to the (laughs) album probably about Awesome. 10 times since you asked that, me to be on. That's so, what's um, up. Yeah. W- welcome to the world of doing that for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so John, give us a little bit of your, uh, your history with Nirvana, like when you got into them and all that and, and you know, just a, a broad outline of how did you come to like this band? I actually kind of backdoored my way into Nirvana. I didn't really get into them until, after Kurt Cobain died. Um, it was probably around the time that Wishka came out um, and they were playing like aneurysm and drain you on the radio constantly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this man is awesome. Yeah. So I went to um, probably like nobody beats the whiz or wherever. Yep, <laughs> yep, CD. Yep. It sounds right. Um, and uh, my mom bought me an awesome Nirvana live CD unplugged in New York. And I nice. brought it home and I was psyched. I was like, I'm about to hear aneurysm and drain you. It's going to be <laughs> great. And it turned out to be this completely different sounding album. And I fell in love with it. And yeah. I think that is the reason why this band has resonated with me so much. Because after I fell in love with that album, I did discover Nevermind. I discovered, you know, um, Bleach, Insecticide in Utero, all these other albums. Um, uh, a, f- a mutual friend of ours, um, would constantly he was i think getting more and more into punk and hardcore so he had a cachet of nirvana bootlegs that i would routinely you know give him five dollars for so most of my (laughs) nirvana collection came through him um but yeah i mean i just my entire life i think like any band you kind of ebb and flow you have times you listen to them incessantly and times you drop off but for the most part i feel like nirvana and probably more more specifically kurt cobain have been pretty influential in my life which is not a very unique statement but you know here we are yeah that's it i didn't know that unplugged was your first one yeah but i i definitely knew that um i knew about the bootlegs because i had plenty of those i feel like everyone i know had like a lot of nirvana cd yeah. bootlegs yep. shout out to jack's music in red bank new jersey yep um <laughs> but uh but yeah that's awesome yeah, Bob, that's what about funny- you Oh, um, well, I'll get to that. Uh, it's a funny note about the Nirvana bootlegs because I had some too. I think about the cottage industry that was like the post-Cobain Nirvana bootleg boom. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my God. Like any record store you went into, it was like 
what's the Nirvana section look like? It's like a row of CDs and there's only, you know, however many actual like albums. Like one legit CD. Yeah. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, so how I got into Nirvana. Um, so he, he, he was done in um, what? Early 94, correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Spring, right? Um, maybe even yeah, April. Before the, April, right. So how about this? I moved to New Jersey in May of 1994. Mm. Um, and it was interesting, and it's a funny like roundabout way to say this, but I went from being a sixth grader in a K-6 through elementary school to being a sixth grader in a six to eight middle school in New Jersey. So I didn't have like it wasn't any transition. It was just like, oh, the next day I went from being in elementary school, but like the big, big dog to being like, oh, you're the like little kid in the middle school. Um, but it, I will say also like there was a difference there. The kids I was going to school with, there weren't that many kids already into like music much at all. Like, you know, I listened to the radio at that point. I was listening to like alternative radio in Albany and uh, this and that. But I wasn't like into any bands yet. But when I moved to New Jersey, that changed. And as you might imagine, like literally, I remember being like, yo, this is weird. Half the kids on this school bus are like in mourning and all of them are wearing these Nirvana shirts. Yeah. You know, like it was a wave. And I try to explain what that was like. Um, Not so much my personal relationship to it, but just the idea of like, Yo, when Kurt Cobain died, if you were in middle school, it was like, you know, the president had been shot. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was a really, really big deal. So, um, so I quickly therein got into Nirvana and Pearl Jam, like 94. So, um, I was like already loosely into, I think I had owned Pearl Jam before that. I think I actually owned Stone Temple Pilots before I earned, owned Nirvana, but I got into Nirvana and was like, oh, it was one of those things where I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anybody who I could borrow CDs from. But so I eventually was like, all right, I need to check out this Nevermind thing and checked it out. I was like, okay, I get it. And went through. And I think the next one I got was, I think I got Unplugged next. And John, like you're saying, that's, it's like a magical uh, experience that, that recording. And I feel that way about, let me pull back. I feel as though the Unplugged series that MTV did in the early 90s was a really cool and fresh thing, at least to people in our general age range, right? Absolutely. The Nirvana set takes it to a different level where it feels almost magical. It's like poignant. You then have the retrospect that this is, you know, not far before everything was done for, for for Cobain and the band. But then I, I kind of went into it and, and like listening to Bleach, I remember being like, man, I I owned Bleach in the mid-2000s. I, I had a CD of it just because just I, I got one somewhere like used for like a dollar probably. Yeah. Um, but I was like, did I? And listening to it now, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This was like the next one I got. And it just I just so happened to, to buy Bleach. And I really like it. I, I forgot um, how much I enjoyed certain elements of it. And some of it's aged really well and some of it maybe hasn't. And I'm excited to talk about that. But yeah, that's my Nirvana story. Um, and Unplugged. We, no, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say Unplugged was like, it really was crazy in the way that you never would think that a band like Nirvana, just based on their albums, had 
dynamics like that, like it opens up this whole other world and it makes me think a lot about like what they could have potentially done down the road. Um, but yeah, it's, that's a really interesting record. So, um, and maybe we'll have to do it sometime later. John, you said you were doing some research about this record. Uh, and I, I want to get, let's, let's create a baseline real quick. Yeah. If you were to rate Nirvana records, where does bleach fall for you? Is it your favorite? Is it in the middle? Is it your least favorite? What do you think? I mean, honestly, upon like re-listening, because it's been a while since I re-listened to this album. Yeah, I actually feel like it's it's almost like proto Nirvana. Like it's basically a fecal matter album. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's cra- it's crazy. Like so I much. Have, so I have that, a similar theory. Yeah, like I, it's really interesting because, like, I, I I would say it's probably on the on the bottom tier, um, but it has one of my favorite Nirvana songs of all time. Um, which we'll get to, uh, but mm. I, upon listening to it, there's a really interesting sliding door scenario where I guess sub pop wanted an EP, but they came to EP. They, they came to sub pop essentially saying we have enough songs for an LP. And I, this is kind of an unsourced thing, but I read that, uh, that, that it was either Dave Grohl or Kurt Cobain said that they actually wish they put out another album between bleach and nevermind. And I, I was thinking about it a lot this week. Had Nirvana, had Bleach been an EP and they put out another EP or an LP between Bleach and Never, Nevermind, what mm-hmm. does Nirvana look like? Like in that sliding yeah. door scenario. Because I think that it's, a, I don't know if they break the way they did. You know what I mean? Because I, I, this album is just so radically different. It's Yeah, it is. It's crazy. You know, no, had there been a record between this and Nevermind, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what what do we think? What would the record? What would the median point been? Do they? Well, you know what? Let's save that because I want to talk <laughs> about that as we go through the tracks because I have specific commentary that might impact these these ideas. Um, guys, it's it's funny because we've talked about Nirvana. Um, I'm assuming most people who are familiar with our podcast know who nirvana is uh but just to do the the broadest of broad we have done a dive into the world of like 90s grunge and alternative pete we've done Soundgarden. yep we've done alice in chains yep we did pearl jam yep it seemed about time to to do the 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 granddaddy of them all and do yeah nirvana. it was overdue yeah yep. so um they're uh, from Olympia, Washington. Um, uh, they're important. You probably live under a rock if you've never heard them. Even, <laughs> even as we approach thirty years of them not being a band, yeah. Um, there's not a soul on earth who goes, "Oh, wait, is that that pre-Foo Fighters band?" <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is the first album. This is the sub pop record. This is the record that, um, you know, came out the same month as, uh, oh, what Fugazi, Fugazi Repeater, and the Fugazi record outsold it uh, tenfold. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A few years, as, as time turns, a few years later, things really changed. Um, John, just, just to, to touch on this, what, um, 
What is your feelings about grunge or any of those other bands I mentioned? Do any of them have any resonance in your life? Do you listen to any of them? Did you ever listen to any of them? The the Sound Gardens, the Pearl Jams, the Alice in Chains of the world? So short answer is no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I actually have listened to your guys. I'll call it the grunge series. Yes. I've been listening thank you. Through. Side note, the... Um, Allison Chains album. I did come across a list. It was like top fifty grunge albums, mm. and they actually put. I know I heard your theory that uh, Allison Chains has kind of uh, surpassed Soundgarden. They had Dirt as number one, the number wow. one grunge album of the nineties. I think it was like on Loudwire. Yeah, wow. it was like, yeah. I was like, I, I, I kind of felt like that was a little like, hey, let's just go for it because never mind was number two. You know, yeah, that's, I mean, that's some clickbait. Uh, that's yeah. some real like, that's a yeah. bit of a stretch. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I mean, sure, I guess. Um, I, I would say that actually I, the Beatles aren't that good, and here yeah, exactly. we'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah, right, it was actually it was the Kinks. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And I laughed. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm the kind of person that just gets like really into like you know, specific things like in kind of preparation of this pod, I've actually for the first time gone back and like listened to some of the things that Nirvana was listening to that curse specifically like Celtic frost. Yeah. Um, uh, you can hear that actually. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, even I even like went back and actually listened to the original version of love buzz, which I'd never yeah. bothered mm. to seek out. So like, great. I, I find that like when I was really, when I got into this band, I dove deep into the band, into like the mystique of Kurt Cobain, because when someone's life is over, you have kind of a complete, you know, view of their existence. So it's almost like I'm reading a complete story. So in a lot of ways, like I didn't really move outward. I think I went from Nirvana kind of more into like punk and hardcore. Like I didn't really yeah. get into a lot of other grunge and it's not because I don't really like it, but, um, I guess I don't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm lukewarm about it. I mean, I listen to all the singles that everyone else did, but I never no, had a sound you know, garden or, you know, John, I, I think you're nailing exactly a point though, is that yes, there is commonality that we can point at between Nirvana and these bands. And there was some kind of like wave between this, but spiritually, I think Nirvana really looked at themselves closer to this punk world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because sonically there's a lot of differences, but they, you know, when you, when you go through and see what a fan Cobain was and you, you see, you know, Nova Selleck was a fan and obviously Dave Grohl came from, you know, the DC scene nascently, you know, so eh, you, you feel all that and then you then you hear but you hear these stories like oh the Pearl Jam guys are like yo it's it was love for the Seattle Supersonics and the Bad Brains that got us to be a band and you're like really I don't hear it guys <laughs> I just don't hear it um, but but you you do see that with Nirvana and I think they wear that side of the influences so much more in their music that like like you know clearly the guys in Soundgarden are familiar with like the 80s punk and hardcore you know classics but they're not really going for that on their records you know whereas nirvana did and i think i think that your story isn't that different i think a lot of people went from nirvana into any choose your own adventure lane of underground music you know and they made it so obvious too i mean like they wore the shirts you know like i always think of 
you know, uh, Chris Novoselic wearing the beat happening shirt or, or the SSD or, shirt. Yeah. Or the SSD shirt yeah. or, or, uh, or Kirk Cobain wearing the Daniel Johnston shirt. Like yep. they were always, and that's, that's not necessarily punk or hardcore, but they were always like wearing things on their sleeve in this way that yeah. made it really easy to like navigate that. You well, know? and I think that's like, um, I think that's the kind of breadcrumbing you see from people trying to point at an underground world. And yeah. it's, it's like a really cool thing, you know. It's the it's the uh, it's the larger scale of a thanks list. Like, oh, thank you too. Here's these bands. You should, you know, without yeah. saying, check these bands out. We're going to tell you check these bands out. Um, so, you know, um, I think we got a lot more to say about this record. Before we do, though, uh, we gave a little bit of context. I do want to talk about why do you guys think this is a fun record to talk about? And Pete, you you start, and then John, I want you to chime in too. Okay. And I have some questions. I'm going to save them for the end. I was going to do them at the beginning, but I'm going to do them at the end. Um, I wanted to cover this record because I feel like, first of all, we had to finish the the 90s grunge theme here um, on the pod. But secondly, 100%. I just think that it was either, for me, it was either this or in utero because Nevermind has been talked to death. And although I think it would be fun to revisit it, and I think we should revisit it at a certain point, and I, I mean, I think we should do all of them, frankly, but yes, I just thought that this would be a fun starting point because I guess for myself personally, this is the record that I go back to least often for Nirvana, and I wanted an, ex- an excuse to revisit it, and I thought that you know, I know that at some point we'll get to all of them. And I thought, why not start from the beginning? John, why do you think this is an interesting record to uh, talk about? I think what's fascinating is that it almost feels like Kurt Cobain was like trying on grunge and it like didn't fit. Yeah. Because like so many of the songs on here, it's like there's certain songs on here that are, you just they're so radically different. Like I find this record to be kind of uneven in a way and not always in a bad way, but there's certain songs and I'm like, okay, this is a hard cut for me, but like it's, I mean, you know, I went back into that Azard book, you know, which is like kind of like one of the Nirvana Bibles. And there's a lot of stuff in there Mm -hmm. about how, like, you know, after the fact, like, you know, Kirk Cobain wasn't super happy with this album and like, you know, they recorded it very cheap. They did a track. And I feel like, Kirk Cobain's an interesting guy because he clearly likes the idea of being this like lo-fi, you know, underground person, but he yeah. had so much more ability. It's like, there was no way I, the comparison I would make is a guy like Brad Pitt. Just bear with me for a second. Brad Pitt Please. actually wants to be like a character actor, but he looks like Brad Pitt. So they put him <laughs> on a movie poster. They put him like front and center, but Brad Pitt really just wants to be Philip Super Hoffman. And like Kirk Cobain, he wants to be this guy that's like in his mind, like an underground person, but that's never who he was going to be. Like, it's so clear. You listen to some of these songs and you're just like, yeah, the reason that Nirvana transcends all these other bands and no disrespect to the other bands is because Kirk Cobain, I think, is just the best songwriter. Like, I think it's not even a question. And I know it's not a competition, but that's what I find interesting about this record is because you kind of hear him. Like you hear certain songs and you're like, that sounds like Nirvana. And then you hear another song and it's like, this sounds like everything else that was probably happening at that time. And, right, yes. and sometimes he does certain songs that it's almost like he's 
appeasing like sub pop like that's a big thing too like they he was worried about putting about a girl on there because it felt too much like a you know like a Beatles song or whatever but then you hear certain songs in this album and it feels like he's just doing the thing that he thinks he's supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not very good and sometimes it's probably way better than it needs to be because Kurt Cobain wrote it so I, I mean yeah I, I just think that it's a it's hugely and this album is hugely important for the like what led what moved forward for this band like they needed to get bleach kind of out of the way to get to nevermind to get to in utero and it sucks that we couldn't get more after that because i i honestly think i constantly think about what they would have done what he would have done you know that's one of the that's one of the most fun conversations honestly is is what where they would have gone um so to answer my own question uh I really, I, John, I, I think you nailed a lot of it. I think you get to see the small blooms of what what Cobain would would inevitably end up doing throughout Nirvana, but it, he's just a really good songwriter, and he has a sense of melody that comes through what's a really aggressive record and just shines, and it's it's both familiar yet completely unique and in the space it's in it's it almost makes those things unrecognizable you know we'll get to it as we do the track by track but there's parts where i'm like yo this could be a genre defining for like these micro genres that have happened since nirvana if people want to look back at this and go oh you know okay i'll just spell it out but like like um about a girl to me is like, yo, the like lo-fi scene of the early two thousands that was trying to do these short, really catchy, simple rock songs. About a girl is better than any song that entire world came up with, <laughs> and and like they, I wonder if any of them note that and go, oh, oh, this is a model we could have followed. This right. Because you know, and and there's certain particularities as we go through that you know, um, that talent factors in, and there's some natural ability here. But um, this is just a really cool record to look at because seeds are planted here that continue through Nirvana's career, and you see continuing to evolve, and it leaves you with the big question that that is fascinating for everybody, which is what if you know. So uh, it is fun to see where that journey began. For sure. Okay. Did we jump into the track by track? Let's jump into track by one last question. All right. Is Nirvana Bleach still relevant? I think it is. I mean, I think that I think that it's relevant due to the fact that the seeds of Nirvana are in here. And there are a few tracks here that informed later Nirvana, and Nirvana I think are still very relevant in general. That's my answer. It's a good answer. Let's go track by track. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's start with flow.
so can I start? Blue, start us off. I'm going to start us off. So, so I think that I, in the course of doing this, I came up with three different Nirvanas that exist on this album. Maybe you guys agree, maybe you disagree. I'm curious to hear. But basically, there's demo Nirvana, there's fully formed Nirvana, and there's like half-baked Nirvana. And this to me is Ooh. definitely demo Nirvana. Yes. Um, it's 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 a good song. I think the live version is always stronger, which is something that I'm going to come back to. Mm. Um, and then it's just it's tough because overall, I think this is a good song. I like this song. This is not what ended up being kind of the final version of Nirvana or what like what people think of as Nirvana. Um, but it's a strong opening track. I think at the same time, there are songs on this record that could have been a stronger opening track. Hmm. Um, and I have to say this, I'll keep it short, but I have to say this as a drummer, like, yes, please go in. It it always sticks out to me. Just the difference. Chad Channing or, or, or Dave roll, frankly has, or sorry, or, uh, Del Crover has, on this record as opposed to Dave Grohl's drums, because I do think that Dave Grohl was like a, a crucial addition to the band that made yeah. a, a ton of difference. Um, and hearing like, like songs like this where I've heard the live versions with Dave Grohl playing drums, it's, yes. it's, it's night and day. He fills the song out. Um, it fills yeah. the song out. Um, but, but overall it's a good song. It's just, it's, it sounds like a demo. Yeah, I totally agree. My notes on this song were that I forgot how much of an upgrade role was <laughs> until I put it on and you just hear it immediately and you're like oh um, it's not fully formed it's not it's it's ugh, it's okay that said even from this song which I think is really about as rudimentary Nirvana as you get and like grizzled and gnarly and it hasn't been kind of forged really Cobain's vocals are awesome yeah, he's yeah. really good. Right from here, you can hear it. He's got so much personality, and it shines through, and it's unique. And even if you think the song sucks, you can get pulled in by his vocals. Yeah, and he only got better. I mean, it, but it's oh, like yeah. such a strong start. Yep. Jack, yeah. uh, John. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I, every time I like relisted this album, he he always sounds like deeper to me in a way. Like it's almost like he's growlier. And he yeah. gets more, I don't know if the word raspy is, he just sounds like Kurt Cobain later. And this, and th- yeah. every time I go back to this album, like for example, this song, he just sounds heavy, like heavier. Um, I mean, the definitive version of the song is on Wishka, right? I mean, that's like, cause I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, I feel like at this point too, I listened to so much live Nirvana that going back and listening to the original tracks is like really interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's with like Dave Grohl, it's like, I mean, it's definitely interesting to hear it with Chad Channing. It's like, it's, you know, Dave Grohl brought something so different to the table. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, upon reading about the album again, like they were this out, like, I guess originally when they first went to the studio, they inadvertently tuned their guitars down to C. So they were already oh, in drop man. day and they tuned it down an entire stop lower and they actually <laughs> eliminated most I don't know what songs they recorded, but one of the songs that survived is Blue. So Blue huh. is like, yeah, it's like in like drop C tuning, and you can kind of hear it in Nova Selge's bass. Like that sounds like really mean 
and awesome. Yeah, it does. Yep. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, you could tell that they were. I think it's a pretty sh- strong opener. I'm curious, Pete, to hear what you think would be a better opener on this album. Um, yeah, I, mm. I, I, I like it. They once again going back to Wishka, and I'm probably going to do this a lot, so I apologize. I can stop. No, please, no, <laughs> no, no, no. It's but, good. Yeah, it's it's interesting that this is the song. There's three songs on this album that make it onto like basically their greatest hits, which is essentially a live album, and this is the song that closes that album. And I think it is a pretty good closer. So yeah, calling them kind of like this is like you know demo Nirvana, I think is kind of nailing it like perfectly. I think this is. They're not all the way there yet, but you can see the seeds, you know, for what's to come. All right, let's uh, let's go to Floyd the Barber. My comment, and I'll start us off. Uh, despite the fact that we've got Dale Crover on this one, mm-hmm. it needs a the song alone uh, needs a better spine. Um, the chorus is so catchy. It makes up for the verse being kind of clunky and feeling not amateur, but almost. Um, and my question here was, is this bad drumming or bad drum parts? <laughs> um, and I remember liking this song. Like, I remember this being a song that I kind of liked and it just didn't hit me nearly the same on this, you know, this process. It changed my mind, guys. John, go in. I, I just think this. I don't. Lo- I don't love this song, but this song is heavy as fuck. Yeah, not <laughs> like wrong. Way, not wrong. The way this song opens, like, is so. Like, I, I, I really feel like too. The thing with this album, upon re-listening to it, and the thing that's great now about YouTube is, when I was growing up, like, you had to like really. It felt like you needed to search for all these bootlegs. And yeah. literally, before I got on with you guys, I'm watching a Nirvana set from Maxwell's in Hoboken in 1989. And it's yeah, like it's just, awesome. there's tons of stuff on there. And you can tell that some of these songs were meant to be played like in a small club where people could lose their minds. And I can just imagine what it would be like hearing this song in a club in like 89. It's so heavy. Having said that, it's a little meandering for yeah. sure. I think the nope. biggest issue with some of the songs that I don't like on this album is some of them feel a little too long. I don't know if yeah. this one really falls into that category. Um, but yeah, I think not it not having a spine, I think, is an interesting take for sure. Cause I just I just get into the heaviness of it. That's what I like. I just I, I agree that there's some heaviness, but I just think the verses like the song structure isn't fully there to me. Yeah. I, I see it, but again, like maybe it's coming out of blue where I just think the drumming is not good. Um and into this, I'm like, oh, there's so much I like and wanna like, but it hasn't congealed. To, yeah. to this yeah. point yet. Yeah. Pete, where are you at? Yeah. So um, for anyone who doesn't know, we keep mentioning Dale Crover. Dale Crover was the mention, the the drummer of the Melvins um, who were a huge influence on Kirk Cobain, I think admittedly, right? I mean, he mentioned them many yeah. times. Yeah, he was. Um, this to me is the strongest maybe example of demo Nirvana um, because only because it sounds like a B-rate Melvin's worship tune. Yeah. Okay. But, there but, you go. But, but, but with like a better sense of melody and pop sensibility. So like there is that kind of, you get the feel of Kirk Cobain in the way that you're like, like the chorus of it. I'm like, Oh, like there's something here. Like it's he, still, yeah. The melody it, and catchiness is there. Yeah. But like, but he's still trying to, 
basically just write a song by his favorite band at this point with their drummer. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's interesting in that way where like, I feel like it's also one of those, like, it's like a coming of age thing where it's like, he was, he was finding himself. Like he realized at a certain point that he didn't have to be the Melvins, you know, the Melvins were already the Melvins. Um, But this is, this is a cool like demo Nirvana track. I don't love it. It, it could have not been on the record, but like, it's cool. Yo, I, I so far I'm two for two on the Pete Nirvana breakdown. These are both demo Nirvana. What are the two other categories? It's basically half baked Nirvana, so it's yep. like the in between, yep. and then there's fully formed. So okay. like a, a song that could have been re-recorded for like another record. Okay, well let's let's get to one of those about a girl. Yeah, fully formed. Yeah, fully formed. Absolutely, no question. <laughs> yeah, um, this is my comments were this is the first fully ears perk track. Yeah. Um I I was I said it before but like it's just such a perfect simple rock song. It's so good, it's so catchy. It has an unpredictable hook and melody that just works so well. Um I think it works really well. It's like a 2 minute 45-ish second song. It also would have worked as a minute and a half. And I'm not saying they should have should make it shorter. This isn't one of those circumstances. But if you just listen to the song, like you get the complete idea about in a minute and a half, and it just shows this weird like efficiency in songwriting that I find really amazing. And I think anyone who likes faster music or or short songs or even just good melodic music, it's like there's a beauty and being able to get a complete like melodic cycle done in under two minutes. Like that's just, it's not easy to do and they do it. Like it almost comes off effortless. How good this song is. Yeah. A hundred percent. This like might be my favorite song on the record. I don't know. I'm just going to put that out there but right there for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so good. Um, and it's, it's one of those things too. I mean, we talked about the unplugged record before it's, it's obvious to me why this song was such like, they did such a good take of this song on that, right? Like it, it transcends kind of everything that they did throughout their career and it kind of encapsulates a bit of everything that they did throughout their career. So I don't know. It's, it's a great song. Like it's one of those things where John, you mentioned it before, but like Kurt Cobain's influences were so much more than the Melvins or like anything that was going on at the time. You know, it, it, it was the Beatles. It was the kinks. It was, you know, the monkeys or whatever. Like he had that pop sensibility and was capable of writing songs just as good as anything that came out of any of those bands. Right. So like, yeah, that's my take. Yeah. I mean, he, he, like apparently he was when he wrote this song, like that whole morning, he just listened to meet the Beatles over and over again. And then he wrote this song, which is That's like interesting, astounding. And all, the thing is too, is this song is also like hugely important for them because this is basically the song that like Butch Vig like heard mm-hmm. and was like, Oh, that's, that's what I want. Like, this is the song that got them with like, got them hooked up with Butch Vig essentially. So I mean, like the song, just like in the in the Nirvana lore, is like hugely important. Like, sure. I mean, 
I mean, who knows where they would be if that did, doesn't happen. And the fact that he was, you know, like really hesitant about putting the song on the album is kind of interesting because like, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I've been doing some reading about like that era, but like, I guess I didn't fully realize how um, it, it's like, even before he was a superstar, it's like, he still felt like confined by like the world around him to the point that this song almost didn't make it on the album. He was like, eh, Sub Pop's not going to like it. It's not like, it's not grunge or sludge enough. It's not, it's whatever. And this is the song that is like, yes, it's like, this is their first fully formed song on this album. And it shows you like what they're going to become ultimately. And that's something too, that like, I, 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 like we talked about kind of Nirvana being punk and hardcore adjacent before. Yeah. That's, that's really relatable. I think for anyone that comes from like that world, right. Where it's like, oh no, this is too taboo for, for this world. Like I have to kind of work within the confines of what I'm given. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. genre boundaries. Yeah, Imag- exactly. Imaginary genre boundaries. Yeah, exactly. No, and and like <laughs> you know, this is a thing that Cobain is purported to have really struggled with and struggled with increasingly so after this point, right? Um, and the kind of tension between, hey, I'm capable of writing these really accessible hooks and things that people really resonate with. But with that brings this kind of weird mainstream success that I'm uncomfortable with at the same time. And is this who I am? Is this the music I write? I thought I was writing this kind of music. And you know what I mean? It's really yeah. fascinating because there's this push-pull. And I think that tension is part of the appeal of the band um, and part of the appeal of his songwriting ability, to be yeah. really yeah. frank about it. Um, I, yeah, I find ahead. it really interesting that like, his like favorite Beatle was like John Lennon, which mm. makes sense. But like after watching that Beatles documentary on Disney, yeah, he actually seems to be a little bit more like Paul McCartney in a way. I don't know sure. if that's a hot take or not, but like, I think he liked the idea. I mean, not that John Lennon wasn't like an amazing songwriter, but when you watch that documentary specifically, it feels like Paul McCartney is like really good at like assembling something and putting something together. And he also had the craft and the skill and like the ear. But it's like, yeah, I mean, he literally called Paul Paul McCartney embarrassing. He's like, he embarrasses me, <laughs> which I thought was like hilarious. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I think what he liked about John Lennon was like John Lennon's like kind of stance about fame, whereas Paul McCartney always seemed to like lean into it. And John Lennon, were like, I, I will say, as someone that loves Kirk Cobain, I do think that some of the mystique around him is that he always seemed too cool for it. Like, I don't really want that. But I do think that he was definitely a very savvy person and understood mm. I have to do some of these things. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I know that there's always a game to be played, but it's like, I mean, look, Kurt, you didn't have to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know? No, no. And, and so, <laughs> so it's like the fun, it's the fun, it's the fun and difficult part of Cobain yes. and the mythos. And also, to be honest, the Beatles mythos, which I think. Uh, has been recontextualized a little bit with the that new documentary. I haven't watched yeah. the whole thing, but I've heard enough about it that I, I'm my interest has peaked. It's interest. It's great. Yeah. But but yeah, but but you know, to, to speak to that first, Lennon is an incredible songwriter and creative and talented. But are the Beatles the Beatles if Paul McCartney exactly. is a shrinking wallflower? No, no, no chance. Yeah. And and no. you know, like yo, look. 
do I think every Wings record is good? No. Do I think every Paul McCartney solo record is? No. Hell no. But you see his success. You see like, oh, okay. Um, and like, yo, Lennon's got tracks. Like solo Lennon has tracks. Yeah. yeah Ringo has tracks. Ringo you has know, tracks. I mean, George, I mean obviously tracks. George. But, but, yeah. but Lennon has tracks, but you sift through his albums and there's a lot of trash. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas you go like McCartney had this more incisive like focus that I think I think you could make a parallel to Cobain where by the time they start doing Nevermind and then I think all the way through in utero and and such that they cut away a lot of that and he's 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 kind of playing both roles and it's it's the situation where it's like yeah you wish you were a little more Lennon, but you're actually more McCartney. Yeah. yeah. And that's a hard yeah. thing to come to terms with. And that's to twist it too. Also, uh, Cobain is amazing because he's an interesting guy and he did a decent amount of self-documentation and there was a good amount of documentation around the time. But I, I think he's hard to read because of those hypocrisies. And I'll say that in the most flattering way I can, because it's, it's people see it as if it's flattering, it's said tormented. If it's unflattering, it's a hypocrite, you know? And in reality, he was doing both things, but he expressed that he never, you know, in one interview, it's like, dude, why are you doing the Henry Rollins routine? You know, like being shitty and snide and like short with your answers. And then the next time you're like, you know, like you're you're still doing all these big rock star things. Like, yeah. you're the most important rock star in the world right now. Yes, that's a, kind of a shitty position to be in, but it's also an okay one too. You know? Yeah. So right. so it is. It's like this fun thing, and I think that that contrast does lead to some of the creativity we see, especially as they continue on from here. Um. Okay. Okay. Back to track by track because we're gonna we're gonna end up out on some limbs here. I think for sure. <laughs> Next song, the song I enter quite a bit, School. Uh, yeah, I I actually enjoy the transition from about a girl. I think this is the first rock block we get. Um, you have a big buzzy riff to start this out. Um, it's just an awesome song. The drums are less up front here, and I think that helps. Uh, I think this is fully formed Nirvana. Yeah. Okay. See, I said this is the best version of half-baked Nirvana. Okay. Um, <laughs> Let's hear it. I, 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 it's just, I feel like there's a, there's just a bit of rawness here that they left behind. It's, it's, it's almost there, but it's, and it's a great song and I love the song. 
Um, and there's a great juxtaposition between the, the like catchy chorus and kind of the aggro and driving verse, but like, that's something I feel like they, they kind of cleaned up a little bit ultimately. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's right on that border of, of like half baked Nirvana and fully formed and, and honestly being transparent there's very little fully formed on this record to me. So like it's yeah. either in the half baked or the demo, but like, but uh, it's a great song overall. I love it. So, so to me, I, I, I can hear the half bake. I think one of the things that makes this lasting is that it's super memorable. I still will get parts of this in my head, this song, just because I think it's, it's like a, just such a great song. I also think that this song could have fit in tightened up through Dave Grohl on the kit on in yeah. utero. I think this song could have fit in on that record oh, really shit. well. Yeah. See, I mean like as I was talking, I was honestly thinking about that because like, like radio friendly unit shifter or whatever that song is called. Like there are weird songs on in utero that could have been this, but like yes. if this was noisier. Well, and, and here's the thing. There's, I think you hear it a little bit on this record later on. Um, Nirvana's self-referential, and if they have a good idea and they don't nail it the first time, you'll see them revisit. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. feel like this was a templated song that they tried a few times moving forward. I, I can't. It's escaping me right now, but... Like this is has at least spiritual successors later on in their catalog. Um, this song, I think, kind of rips, and I, I would, I would throw this as mm, this is my second favorite song on the record behind "About a Girl." Cool, yeah, John. I, I think this is the first song on the album that sounds like it was meant to be played in a stadium. Like it's a oh, big yeah. song. Interesting. I just, I, I think like that build up to like post. Um, post chorus you know like going into like kind of the quiet part that leads to you're in high school again like it's so <laughs> it's so like powerful you know what i mean yeah. and like it's a song that they continue to play throughout their career you know what i mean which means it kind of felt i think to them it felt like it had the legs um yep it's definitely i i i, I think i it's hard for me to always separate because <laughs> i i personally look at the song as fully formed nirvana I think Pete makes a good argument against that. But I, this song to me is like, just like a, a huge part of their catalog that to me, just feels fully formed. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the, it's on this album specifically, it feels like a standout for sure. Um, so you've been outvoted, Pete. This is fully formed Nirvana. That's Sorry. fine. Now. I'm cool with it. I mean, I was honestly just thinking, John, when you said like, like this song was written for a stadium, it's like, they played huge venues, obviously, right? Yeah. But like, for some reason, maybe it's like just the the punk affiliation or whatever. Like, or maybe just Kurt Cobain's vibe. Like, I because I know that he like was so torn about the fame thing. I still like when I listen to these songs, Bleach or honestly, Nevermind or In Utero. Like, I don't think of them as like a big room rock band. Oh, but yeah. like that's that's obviously like kind of that that is like definitively what they were but they, but, they, I, but they i don't were, think of them that way they were it's it's crazy because don't take this as a shot at their bona fides because it's not 
they were the best big room rock band disguised as small room rockers. And yeah. in reality, maybe it, they're the best small room rockers who just wrote big room riffs, you know? Because, <laughs> you know, the way they behaved on some big stages wasn't necessarily apropos. But, yeah. like, yo, the tracks are there for the stadiums. And, and I mean, that's the one thing. <laughs> School being on a sub-pop record that comes out in 89, uh, you're like, whoa, wait, really? This, this is huge, <laughs> you know? It's crazy, yeah. All right, uh, let's talk about Love Buzz. All right, real quick. Does anybody in the world think that this is not a Nirvana song? Like, like, like that Nirvana didn't write it. Oh, interesting. Uh, no. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, like nobody, maybe. nobody, Nobody's nobody. Saying, he- oh, it's a cover, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nobody, nobody hears this song and says like, "Oh, it's shocking blue cover." Cool. No, no, no. no. Very rarely am I am I having conversations casually about uh, psych rock bands from uh, uh, the Hog, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I just I, like it's because I think of this so firmly as a Nirvana song. Well, it's and, how I bet ninety nine percent of the people who've heard the song. Well, that's were exactly my point. It, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, like it's just this is how you hear the song, and like, but it's one of those things too where when bands do covers, sometimes. It's in a way I feel like that lends itself to like, I'm going to check out the original. For some reason, I don't think that most people that heard this version went back and said like, oh yeah, like that's a cool song. I'm going to check out the original. Like it just doesn't send, lend itself to that somehow. Took me 25 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. That's my point. Yeah, I don't know I mean, why that is. It's kind of this weird thing. It's just something that came across, like something yeah, I thought about. The rare example where a band covers a song. And, and it just becomes theirs. And it becomes theirs unequivocally and like with little reference. And not not like they stole it, but like yeah. by all intent and purposes, nobody cares that it was a shocking blue cover, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. And to be honest, I think this is a good song. Okay. It's a great bass line. It's the bass sounds awesome. It's ripping. Yeah. Uh, but the song, I'm I'm kind of like it. It it has never thrilled me the way it has thrilled some people. Fair enough. I mean i I really like this version of the song. I really like the song. Um, I think that I probably like it a lot, just because I've had so much time with it, and like I remember when that. Nirvana CD DVD box set came out like 15, 20 years ago, whenever that was. Yeah. And there was like this awesome live version of it. And I think Kurt Cobain like gets into some sort of fight altercation. Yeah. In, in Texas. The DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it was the song. Yeah. Yep. And like, and I remember watching that over and over and being like, God, this band was like so much crazier than I thought they were. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, uh, and that kind of affected me. So I now hear this and think of that video which i i'm sure is on youtube at this point but but yeah that's my feeling of it and it's it's yeah i mean my point is it's it's just interesting when bands take a cover and just make it so firmly their own because it is it's rare that that happens like so profoundly but yeah john go in it's it's funny how those things can become intertwined because when i think of it this this song i think of that video like i can't i can't like the um the live tonight sold out video i can't Mm. like separate them so this song also feels in a weird way like more important in their catalog to me than it actually is granted it is like their first single right so i guess that's like 
important. Oh, yeah. Which is kind yeah. of crazy. Like, but I will say, like, even though it's a cover, it actually sounds very much like a Nirvana song. And I think you kind of really like recognize how important like Novoselic would be like moving forward. Cause even yeah. though it's not originally a Nirvana song, there's things in here that like, you know, one of my favorite Nirvana songs is lithium and like that bass walk, like in the middle of the song, you, you like, that's a huge part of that song that like ties it together. Like that dude, I think is a little underrated in a way. I mean, I think his, he's super important and this song kind of gives him the chance to like shine. I will say though, this version, it's too long for me. I, all that noise shit in the middle. I'm like, all right. Like, yes. Yes. I, could I, do without it completely. Yeah. yeah. Pull some of the energy out of the record at this point, which even though, you know, uh, it's, I'm, I'm two of four basically for the first four tracks and not, not hating the first two, but like there's a movement, everything's moving. And then you hit that and it's like, ah, okay, whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, next song, paper cuts. Pete, start us off. Demo Nirvana. Um, it's 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 like a more screamy early Melvin's tune. Um, I'd I'd like this almost more as a Melvin song, um, and as a Nirvana song, it's kind of forgettable. Honestly, like I'm, this is like a maybe a cut. Wow, I'm going to take you to a different place, Pete. All right. Um, this is the closest Nirvana ever gets to the Allison Chains yes. sound. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is yeah. this could be on dirt like this song 100 could yeah. be there yeah um, obviously they're not pulling from alice chains at this point i think alice in chains might still be like weird scuzz metal um yeah. it's this gnarly gross sounding song i agree the melvin's comparisons are, are appropriate but it, it does a little different stuff i think that creeping build up scaling riff is cool I like this song. It's a keeper for me. All right. I actually wrote, I wrote in my notes, Hollis and Chains called and they want their chorus back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, yo, here's the thing, John. I think we could, if we did it, we could probably go through the Alice and Chains record and go, oh yeah, here's, here's the song that sounds like this, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, this feels to me, I, I, the other thing I wrote down is <laughs> paper cuts, keyword cut. Like, because <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> I um I, I went the You're other route. No, I went the other route. This is the this is the one song on the album that I think I can completely do without. Which maybe says that I which maybe lets you guys know that I wouldn't necessarily be a big Alice in Chains fan. But um True. this this doesn't sound like Nirvana at all to me. Like this like this feels like they're on sub pop, it's nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine, you know. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Right. This is this is them poking around and f- trying to like there's you're totally right. This is demo Nirvana, no matter what, because they're poking around in the dark, trying to figure out what their sound yeah. is completely. You know, yeah. and um, I mean it's it's I mean it's four minutes long. It's long. Yeah. I, I I feel like I'm like I don't know if it, it's I have ADD, but like stuff like I think when I don't like something, I mean I guess this is you know whatever, but four minutes is punishing to me. Like I got to this song and I was like, and I did I did the re-listen a bunch this week. And every time I got to the song, I was like, all right, I, it never, caught, it never caught on for me at all. Cause it, it's, it's also like, I mean, it's like midway through the album, right? It's like smack in the middle for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. So it definitely, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> Bob, you're the I'm, loner. I'm here. the loner. I'm I'm keeping it. I'll buy all the stock. Um, but I don't disagree. <laughs> it's it's not it's not it's not tried and true Nirvana. I wouldn't want Nirvana to do the Alice in Chains sound, but this is an interesting toe in the pool. So negative creep. So this is half-baked Nirvana. Could it's on the precipice of fully formed. I feel like this could have been a good opener. Oh, okay. I think for this the record. is. I'll, I'll go with your. I'll go with your half-baked assessment. Um, John, you you referenced Celtic Frost earlier. I think that's there. Um, I think this is the closest they ever get to like Motorhead in segments. Uh, oh, sure. Based on the cadence in his vocals. I really like how ugly the guitar sound gets on here. It's like beyond fuzz. Um, I like it. I don't. I don't love it, but it's it's really it's it's creeping somewhere interesting. Yeah, this one like I I think it's a great song, but I feel like it only got better with age because again, this is one that they I think they kept playing throughout because yeah. I'm I'm more familiar with the live recordings of it, and for me, it like. It's it's reminiscent of songs on like, never mind like territorial pissings or something where it's like that faster pace yep. and like more aggro, um, but it still has that pop sensibility and I think that's the thing about Kurt Cobain right like there's always that hook that that other bands trying to do the same thing didn't have, um, like memorable lyrics the catchy chorus, and my only other note is just like I forgot that. There's so much double kick drum on this. I know that yeah. I keep being the drummer in the room, but like there's so <laughs> much double kick on like on this record. And I'm like, oh, I just completely forgot about all of that because Dave Grohl didn't have any of that. And I think that was like a, a tasteful decision. But yeah, I I literally wrote that down. I because th- so this is my favorite song on the album. This actually might be one of my favorite Whoa. songs. Yeah. Which, oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's I, like. The double bass pedal, though, I will say, like, it's interesting going back to this album because they it, it pops up a lot. And I'm usually a fan of a good double bass. It doesn't yeah. really work with Nirvana in a lot of a lot of times. It's weird. I don't know. I it's because it, I feel like when you listen to them play this song live, it's it's more it's like rockier. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's like there's a different kind of cadence yeah, there's no, into the chorus. You know, there's there's a lot less sludge. Yeah. Yes. I just, I, I think too with this song, I just feel like this is like kind of a balls to the wall. Like he unleashes like that, that scream, like going into the chorus. I mean, that's, I, I'm, I'm there for that. I mean, a good Kurt Cobain howl is like, you know, it makes me so happy, which is probably one of the reasons why it's <laughs> one of my favorite. 
it's probably one of my favorite Nirvana songs for that reason, because that guitar sound, like everything about it. I mean, so much so that I even, you know, the, the lyrics of this song, you know, like were possibly ripped off from mud honey. I don't know if you guys read that anywhere, but like, Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess there was like a mud honey song called sweet little thing. ain't sweet no more. And, and I went back to listen to that song and I got mad (laughs) because I was like, (laughs) I mean, sure. I I mean, there's similar set, but the songs sound like absolutely nothing alike, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, something about that, you know, just going up and down the fretboard. I just love it. Like it's the distortion level, everything about it feels to me. I, I, I do think that half-baked Nirvana is actually a good placement for this song. Right. Or you said demo or half-baked? I said half-baked. I think I think, half-baked. Ha- I think yeah. half-baked is a pretty good placement for it, ironically. But it's if this song was like on, you know, like on Outsecticide 7, it would be like yeah. my favorite Nirvana song still. Like I, <laughs> I, it's, and I think that this song, I, I made a list. If we get to it at the end. I had, I was thinking about what an EP would look like if there was a Bleach EP. Ooh, and I, I, I had this song as the, the first song on the B side. Uh, all right. Uh, you, I good, like that you did a good side, B tease, side. Yeah. Good tease. Yeah. I love it. All right. Um, yeah. So this was, that, that was actually the closer to the a side on the oh, right. Okay. Yep. So moving on to side B scoff scoff. Um, do I hear like a little bit of SST records influence on this yes. song? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, drum sound has kind of evened out by this point. And let me just double check because I think this might be a slower track, a Crover track. Let's see. No, I don't, I don't think it is. No, it's not. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's evened out. And at this point, I'm like, <clears throat> it just is so much cleaner and crisper. All that said, song's just okay. Yeah, this might be a cut track for me. It's, 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 it's a good song. It has cool energy. Um, but I'm like, at the same time, I'm not surprised that they left the song behind. And it, like, to my knowledge, I don't know, John, you'd probably know better, but like, I don't recall any live recordings of like the Nevermind era, for example, where they were playing this song. No, this song, I mean, they were, they were playing this like on those tours in like 89, but this song didn't make it past like 1991, yeah. you know? And that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the best part of the song is that, um, uh, that break, like after the chorus, when the guitar kicks in, because that guitar just yeah. sounds so mean. I didn't. Yeah. I, I. It's funny you said SST. I wrote. I just. I wrote down Surfer, because <laughs> it has oh, that yeah. kind of like. Yeah, it definitely has that feel. It's you can tell it's influenced by that. Yeah, that and I don't know if it's Minutemen or like sure. the like scaly guitar stuff or or something, but it's in there for sure. And it's yeah. overall, it's like okay, I see. I see some stuff pulling out here. Um. Let's move to Swap Meet. John, you want to start? Sure. Um, I think that I like the chorus a lot. Hmm. Um, I think ultimately this song would maybe be a cut for me. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I find Nirvana solos are always really interesting to me because like a lot of the solos over the course of their catalog are very simple, but they can be very, very effective. And this is not one of them. It's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I do like the the crunchiness in the song though a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think overall, like, it's a pretty middling song. It would be a cut for me though. I think. Yeah. Ultimately. 
It's a cut from me too. My exact notes. I like the the chunky guitar parts. Uh, And also the lyrical content is just excellent. It's too, it's like as on the nose as you can get. It's literally about people who, who, uh, you know, live at the swap meet essentially and like (laughs) do swap meet things. And like as a dude who, who enjoys going to, uh, you know, the, the, um, you know, going to swap meets and, you know, all that kind of thing. Like, uh, you, you spent some time in a thrift store. Uh, you, you know these people. Yeah. This is real. This is speaking from experience. <laughs> so uh, I enjoyed that part of it. But as a song, it's it's really pretty forgettable. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel largely the same as everyone. Um, I could take it or leave it. It's firmly demo demo Nirvana. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's all I got. Uh, Pete started us off with Mr. Mustache. This is Half-Baked Nirvana. The only thing that pushes it over the brink from Demo Nirvana is the chorus. Um, it's it's all right. Yes, I'm like, how I'm not proud. Yeah, I'm mixed on it. But it's all right. Do we think that if Kurt Cobain had stuck around, he would have had a vegan moment in the 90s, early 2000s at the latest? I mean, he's from Olympia. That sounds right. Right. Like, like he's got some weird guilt associated with eating cow. Like, yeah. Um, uh, it's a it's a fun song. It's a little long. There's parts to it though. There's some parts. So when you say demo Nirvana, I think this is one that should have been thrown on the scrap heap. Except like, ah, I like that riff right there. I like that change. That that transition. Um, it's it, it doesn't totally overstay, but. I'm not I'm not reaching for this song ever again. Yeah. No. Yeah, I mean this song felt very it, it had kind of like a punk feel to it a little yeah. bit more. Um mm-hmm. I, I think that this song and maybe even Swap Meat, but I, I would say this song more specifically would be a good a decent like B side on something yeah. else, like on a single. You know what I mean? Because yep. it's not it doesn't like you said, it doesn't really overstay its welcome. But as you know, a song on an album, I mean whatever. I can take or leave this one. It's definitely demo Nirvana for sure. All B-side's right. pretty weak so far, guys. Yeah. Uh, no question. No question it is. All right. And um, so on the original record, it only goes to Sifting, which is the, the next track, and it's considered the last track. The yeah. bonus tracks on most reissues are Big Cheese and Downer. We can talk about those two, or we can stop at Sifting. You guys let me know. I think all we cover way. all of it. Yeah, right, yeah because, because here's the thing. Like, 
the CD I had as a kid went to Downer. Same. Yeah. So let's do that. Sifting. Uh, to me, tempo change, kind of. Um, this is the one that was reminiscent and feels like a callback or maybe even a sequel to school. Um, my only complaint is that it's long and it drags. Yeah. Uh, runtime is 522. Making it the longest song on this record by a solid minute. Yeah. The, the tempo changes on this one are really jarring. I feel like they were trying to do a lot with this song. I will say like the half baked Nirvana, it, this is like demo slash half baked because the, the, that one chorus piece could have been later Nirvana. Yeah. Agreed. But like the, but the rest of the song is like demo vibe. Um, it doesn't flow super well. It definitely goes on too long. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings on it. John, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I'm in that same boat. I think it's actually not a bad song to end the album on, like on the original LP. I think it's a decent finale. But yeah. I, I, I'm, it's, it's for sure uneven. And I, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Too long. It does not need to be over five minutes at all. Um, I, I do think, though, that this is him, once again, like, this is like him, like, trying to write a grunge song. <laughs> Like, I feel like oh, wow, yeah. for, for the guy that's like, you know, the king of grunge, I still felt like it was harder for him to write a grunge song than it was to write just like a naturally good song that you can strip down to an acoustic guitar. And this is him like trying to write a grunge song. And it's pretty right. good. You know, it's pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. I think under with a lesser, you know, with a lesser front man, the lesser writer, it's probably pretty horrible. But yeah. You know. All right, big cheese. Uh, not as dynamic as most of the other songs in this record. No, doesn't 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 no. click for me. Uh, it's just kind of fine. <laughs> yeah, you know you know what's weird. This was one of my favorite songs when I was a kid. Really, like, this is like this was like one of my go to <laughs> tracks when I was young, and I re listened to it now, and I was like. I don't know. This is fine. <laughs> like I, I couldn't even like refine the magic. I was like looking for it and I couldn't find it. Hard feeling right there. Yeah, it was tough. I had a moment, guys. Yeah, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you're making me sad, John. Yeah. Bring us up here, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of feel like um, Allison Chains left the studio, but now Allison Chains is like looking through the window of the recording booth, <laughs> <laughs> like. Like, hey, what are you guys doing in there? You know, um, double d- double bass again though too. It's like yeah. all over the yeah. it's all over the place in this one. This song was what was also weird too. Is this song was a B side? I think on um, Downer. I think it was a B side on one of their EPs, which is kind of yes, interesting. it was. You're right. You're right yeah. about that. I also think if I'm memory serves, oh, it's the correct, B side. It's the B side on the Love Buzz single. Love Buzz. There we go. Yeah. So, which is kind of. It's interesting. It's another song that, like, I don't think it ever really resonated with me. Um, no, me neither. Kind of like lukewarm about it. It's definitely, it's definitely demo. Nirvana. Yes. Now, does ne- it, does anyone know? Sorry, John. Sorry, Bob. Does does anyone know why they added these two songs ultimately? Like, what was the logic there? 
Um, just to make it longer, just to like have more tracks. I bet, I bet yeah, maybe to to cross the threshold, give it a little yeah. more beef. Yeah. That's that's yeah. Okay. I mean, once all right, this is a great, great ah, just because part of this bloat vibe. Correct. Well, here you go. Yeah. Um, before Nevermind was released, Bleach had sold forty thousand copies in North America. Right. Uh, the ninety-two re-release was more successful in the charts, with it eventually reaching number eighty-nine, number thirty-three. Blah blah blah. So I'm trying to see. Um, uh, so for, for after three years of release, it had sold forty thousand. Um, it was certified platinum by ninety-five, and it sold an estimated one point nine million copies in the U.S. by twenty sixteen. So right. uh, yeah, I think it it that reissue did pretty well. I think they yeah. probably just just. Hey, let's have a good excuse to, to do. A, yeah, let's have a good excuse to do a, a reissue that is better than. Yeah, nerve. Never mind. Was really big, so we we should just make more of these, right? You know? <laughs> well, what's what's kind of weird too is I don't I don't remember because it's been a while since I listened to it. Is Big Cheese and Downer are they on Insecticide? Did they just like double dip and put these songs on oh, both albums? Good question. Because I'm also really curious to know: Did they re-release Bleach around the same time they? They released Insecticide. I think Insecticide was later. Okay. Um, Insecticide was after Nevermind. Yeah, it was sure. between. Yeah. Every well, and I think it's right. Okay, so so let's see. Insecticide comes out. Let's see this. All right, let's see this. This is fascinating radio here. Um, insecticide comes out. You know what's really funny? Yes, they double dip f- for fucking sure. Insecticide comes out December ninety two. <laughs> bleach i'm trying to see when the reissue for bleach was because they said it was reissued in 92 so <laughs> yeah uh they wow. got to work on that pretty quick um on insecticide let's see did they There's definitely downer down? yeah downer is on here for sure um no uh there's no um no big cheese though no cheese so. yeah no big no cheese. cheese no cheese no cheese uh you- speak go ahead oh so do you guys think that how many of those 1.9 million people were incredibly disappointed by this album <laughs> dude i was one of them <laughs> like 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 when it, when i think about it i think i think nevermind was the first one i had yeah and then I got in utero and then I got unplugged and then I got bleach and bleach was the one that I just never went to No, because I, I it just didn't hold up to any of the others in any way. Honestly, I, I don't disagree. I think the first clip like about about a girl in school hold up so well to me. Yeah, I think when I was younger, I felt better about Floyd the Barber as well. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you find things about it over time. I mean, but John John mentioned Live at Wishka a few times. Like, I found myself continually going to, like, that record and then, like, all of the fucking, like, bootleg CDs I had. Yeah, like, I remember there was a bootleg, I think, one of my friends had it called Roma, Yep, and it had like a faster version of "Smells Like Teen Spirit" that I thought was so sick, and I've like been looking for it ever since. I'm sure I could find it easily, but I just want the actual like bootleg CD. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I yeah, still, it's I, like I kept all those, man. I never got rid did of you? them. Did you? Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna rip that from you. Yeah, but yeah. Guys, uh, I don't want to be one, but we might as well be one. Yeah. Don't be guilty. 
Um, this version of this and, and this song is. Um, let me start with the good part. Uh, I think the chorus is good. It's kind of catchy. The verses are so annoying that yep. I'm like, is this an homage to like snotty, bad, faux UK punk? Like it's it's the chorus saves it. Like I think it sounds like the chorus is quite catchy, and it's like. I think this might be Kurt Cobain at his best and worst, where like he's not necessarily writing a Nirvana song. He's trying to write a song, but there's parts. But when it hits the chorus, he's so talented and good at doing that that he writes this really good thing. But then the verses are total shit. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a hard cut for me. But the chorus is so strong. If I was actually doing this, I wouldn't cut the song. I'd just be like, God damn. Can you do something like maybe just take the vocals off the verses? I don't care. Yeah, it's it's messy. I mean, it's like it's like the punkest song on the record in a way. It's like a it's like a sped up flipper almost. Like it's oh, just yeah. it's, like, it's kind of it's like consciously annoying. And I know that he was he was a big flipper fan. Um but yeah, it's like yeah, the chorus to your point, it's 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 obviously like he can't get away from that like pop sensibility. Yeah, but like yeah, it's it's not great. I could I mean I could lose this song and it's fine. Yeah, yeah. John, what do you think? I, actually, Bob, I have straight from Kurt Cobain's mouth. I was trying to be Mister Political Punk Rock Black Flag guy. I really didn't <laughs> know what I was talking about. I was just throwing together words. <laughs> yep, yep. Sounds right, Kurt. Thanks. <laughs> this, this I, when I was a kid, I I liked this song a lot, and it was probably because it was just fast. But and as an adult, yeah. yeah, when I was younger, for sure. Uh, but as an adult, it's it's a cut. I mean, the, the chorus is definitely the chorus. The chorus sounds like Nirvana, but like the verse just sounds like I don't even know what it sounds like. I mean, it sounds like something that would have been on the box set if it never made it onto this album. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. for sure. Possibly right. a hidden gem, but but prop, but not really. You know? Like not, here's the thing: yeah. this is yeah. this is a song that I think um, it will put in the demo Nirvana box. It's like it's half baked demo actually, because I'd like them to go to the wood chipper, throw the head of the verses in there completely, <laughs> and go, "All right, rethink, rethink that completely," because you have something here, but it's not fully formed. Yeah. Let's go. So, all right, we did the the record as we all know it. Um, let me go through our typical ratings, and then I, I think you both had some questions or commentary. Yeah, I got some questions. John, you're going to start us off. Length. Does this record feel too long? Does it drag at all? Yes. I definitely think that sifting is too long. I, the second half is drags a bunch for me. I would say it's ultimately too long do you think it should have been an ep john i mean no yes both <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah yes i think that there's actually a really really good ep here yeah. um but my my fear in the alternate universe where this was an ep i don't know what like i don't know what happens with nirvana after the fact you know, maybe sure. Nevermind becomes, I put on Nevermind again today, just to, you know, just to kind of have that. It's like mind boggling how different that album feels compared to this. 
And yeah. maybe we get, I think Nirvana, I think Nevermind is pretty much, it's a pretty perfect album. I don't think I have any mm-hmm. tracks on that that I would eliminate. I maybe Nevermind is a weaker album. If they have, if this is an EP and then they have an LP between the two. Oh, interesting take. Yeah, no, for sure. I, like listening to this record and going, okay, if there is something in between this and never and never mind, would they have committed some of the like like I feel like Nevermind was the perfect storm of big enough production. They were able to hit everything. Like, yo, what if they here let me throw a curveball. What if they did a record between this and Nevermind and Dave Grohl wasn't on it? Oof, yeah, interesting. Right? Imagine tracks from Nevermind. I'm not going to say being butchered or tarnished or what have you, but being underutilized by a lesser drummer. I mean, they, they kind of exist. There's like a there's like a sub-pop version of In Bloom. They shot a music right. music video for it and it's... You know, I don't think Dave Grohl even changed any of the drum parts, but it's just, I mean, it's just, just better. I mean, it's yeah. just better. <laughs> it's just better. better. Like, you know, and it's, it's, it's like an incredible thing. Um, we did the killing joke record that he, is that the one he played on Pete? Yeah. Yep. And he just brings a lot into the studio space in terms of how he plays drums. He, he can, he plays them loud. He fills it. There's just the, the, the spacing between his rhythm is tight and consistent, and that makes a big difference when you listen to a record. Uh, from the very first song on Bleach, you go, "Oh no, yeah. <laughs> oh shit, I forgot." Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so um, drummers matter. Drummers yeah. matter. Drum- yeah, drum- <laughs> oh, drummers matter. Uh, length. We all agree. Length. It's a little too long. Yeah, it's long. Okay. I mean, even if it, honestly, for me, even if it was just the 11 songs that it was originally, it's long. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. Um, Album flow. Does it feel disjointed or slapped together at all? I mean, to me, it just, it, again, like, yes, it does. Yeah, it does. I mean, like going along, going along with the demo vibe, it's just that like, if a band hasn't really figured out who they are yet, it's going to sound disjointed. And this record is no exception. Yeah. Okay. Um, typically we ask the quality of the songs and lyrics, memorable songs. How do they stand up? I'm going to ask that, but I'm also going to say, consider the highs and consider the lows. Cause to me, the highs on this record about a girl school are high enough that I guess, you know, memorable songs and they stand up really well against their contemporaries, even in this form. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, the highs on this are so high that it's no wonder that they, I mean, it's still, honestly, I look back and it's still weird to me that Nirvana were like one of the biggest bands on the planet. It just seems like a, like a glitch in the matrix somehow. But the fact that it did happen, it's no surprise that it was this band. And there's hints of that on this record. So yeah. John, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I mean, I think li- like lyrically, like the one thing I, Kirk Cobain gets a lot of credit for his lyrics, but mm. everything that I know about the writing the lyrics for this song is that he would be writing them like literally on the way to the studio. Yeah, didn't, so, one of the things I read was like, he was, he was actually like really bummed because he spent no time, particularly yeah. on the lyrics to this album. Yeah. 
like, I mean, realistically too, it's like, you know, I, I'm curious to know like why, because they were, they weren't a band for very long at this point. And they were a a band that had multiple permutations in that short period of time, which I guess isn't uncommon for a band that's starting out. But if Sub Pop was offering them an EP, like, I mean, Pete, maybe you can speak to this more. Like, like why go this route? Like, why go a, an album that's weaker? Because there's three songs that I was trying to confirm whether or not they were written at this point that are better that aren't on this album. Dive, Zappy, mm-hmm. and Polly. As far as I can tell, all three those are of those awesome songs, songs. Yeah, those are great songs. Now, I, you know, knowing that about a girl, I think Dive could have maybe been on this album in an alternate universe. Sappy and Polly, maybe not so much, considering he was nervous about putting about a girl on there. But mm. there's definitely a better version of Bleach as an LP that exists, I think. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if Sub Pop. I did read somewhere that Sub Pop actually wanted them to resequence the album. I guess there was a different order that changed. I don't remember the original order specifically, but I don't think even changing the order would have made the album better. This actually feels like you could almost listen to like the first side of this album and then kind of put it away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I largely agree. Uh, 100%. I totally agree at that point. So timelessness, does this strictly exist in a time and place or does its influence spread much further? I kind uh, of feel like that's a little obvious. Nirvana are hugely influential, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's the highs are high. Um, and even yeah. with the sound, it's raw and rough, but it feels like it could have been much later. You know, it, it's not it's not locked into a time and place. The only thing that makes it feel time and place is how indelibly connected to the early 90s nirvana was for um, sure so that's or late 80s even late 80s yeah. here but you know um they're just so tied to that that said no uh on on this it's its influence is so so far reaching it's it, you can't deny it yeah do you guys think if nirvana disbands in 1990 kirk Cobain goes and works in a lumber yard they never make another album ever again. Uh, you stole you stole one of my questions. I, I, I didn't mean to step on you. I was wondering. No, if no, it's all, like, it's, it's all no, good. No, I love it. I love it. So yeah, continue. It. Finish. Do do we care this? Do we care about this album? No, no. I I I, I think that I think that like great like diggers. Yeah, like, we'll be like, like, yo, this song about a girl. Oh my god. Yeah, it's the way that like like Tad was a band that a lot of people talked about. I think I think Nirvana toured with Tad, and I think that Tad played over them. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but like, they're a band now that people look back on, and you know, Sub Pop reissued all their records, and everybody's excited about them, and there's a documentary about them, and like, I think they're a great band, but like, it's very obvious to me why they were not Nirvana. You know, there's a huge difference just in the songwriting capabilities. So like, I think that people talk about them, but it's like in 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 like niche inner circles, and like. You know, it it in no way would have made it its way to the mainstream. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I feel like this album is more of like a historical artifact than a great album. Like yeah. it's it's yeah. important because if you really, really, really give a shit about this band, it's important. Because I, I don't think I've ever listened to this album the way I have this week. And it's I've just been thinking about like him a lot and just like what he was going through as like an artist 
it's just made me even more fascinated with like him as a person and like as sure. this like figure. But yeah, if there's no nevermind, there's no in utero. I mean, ultimately, you would maybe hear a couple of these songs and be like, oh, those are pretty good, but you might just skip right past it for sure. And the weirder part of that conversation, which we don't have to get into necessarily, but like, would there have been a band that would have filled that gap? I don't know. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> here's the problem. I think if Nirvana's not there, grunge doesn't capture the zeitgeist the way it does. Yeah. Um, I think that the bands who do come up, like they do, but it, I think the landscape's radically different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I even listened I I listened to a few tracks from the Soundgarden album that came out around the same time. And it's yeah. Which one is is that a Bad, Bad Motor Finger? Finger? Yeah. yeah. And like I mean you guys have discussed this a lot on this pod. Like mm. what is grunge? Cuz that album does not sound like this at all. I mean, no, they that's, sound that's like the, they're two different universes. So and, like and, and they might as well be, you know, yeah. um, grunge is just that title. It's not, it's not a sound. It's, it's more this like weird, it's when aggressive rock music that found some mainstream success pivoted from hair metal to, to this, to whatever this was, which was more aggressive and, theoretically less focused on this aesthetic but in reality it was like no there was the look was a big part of that too and it was just this yeah changing of the guard so they needed a broader category because you know you've what in the world does pearl jam and allison chains they don't sound alike even at pearl jam's most aggressive and dirty doesn't come close to allison chains and allison chains at their their most rocker doesn't sound like Pearl Jam, you know? So, um, let alone throwing a band like Nirvana or a band like Soundgarden and they're just radically different and there's even more variations there. So, um, if, if for some reason Cobain stops after this, they fail, quote unquote fail, and Nirvana doesn't release Nevermind, I, I think... I think we see uh, Chinese democracy a lot earlier than we do. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know. I, I think that we, the demise of hair metal is much more prolonged. I think there is still a rise in the alternative music world and some of those other bands exist, but like maybe Pearl Jam starts to get filed closer to REM yeah. and a band like Alice in Chains starts to be filed a lot closer to Metallica and the idea of what grunge is just doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, because there's, no fla- there's no there's uh, no flagpole to to put it up on. At that point, rock and roll like had to take a step down. Like it just had to like get more like subdued. It couldn't. The hair metal thing was too extravagant for for the world. Yes, you know? and, and and by the way, it was so so like vanilla. And I say that in acknowledging that grunge is a pretty whitewashed music genre too, but at least there was an edge to it and an aggressiveness that felt not safe. Yeah. Hair metal, even an edge. Yeah. Hair metal, even at its prickliest felt like something that like maybe your mom didn't want you to have a guns and roses t-shirt, but like 
sweet child of mine is a pretty nifty ditty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for sure. Right. So like, like we, you know, on, on this show, we talk a lot about grunge, but like the early nineties, there was a huge, like you think about the wave of, of hip hop and and rap and then R and B that came up in that period. Like there was a modern Renaissance on all that stuff. So like that would have continued unabated. Um, I think about it like like we're saying like what happens is never mind. Does REM become a bigger p- talking point? Like because th- they they got pretty big in the early nineties. Yeah, but they were just a little bit outshined by the more aggressive stuff. You know. Yeah, I mean that that's an interesting question. Like does does it just like does does like the college rock thing just like blow up a few years earlier than it did? Yep. You know, in yep. in lieu of the grunge stuff, I don't know. There's definitely I I came across an interview with Jay Z, yeah, uh, from about ten years ago, and he claims, in his opinion, that Nevermind pretty much stopped hip hop in his tracks, and that once Nevermind came out, it had such a radical impact on music by and large that hip hop had to kind of get back in line, because post Nirvana you get like your boy bands which kind of lead, you know, like that kind of poppy sound, which leads mm. into hip hop, Eminem, that sort of thing. And now hip hop is probably the predominant form of music in America. Yeah. Maybe that happens earlier. I mean, that's at least Jay-Z's opinion, which I think is kind of fascinating. <sighs> I think it's but- fair. I think, I think that I wonder if there's a commentary on hip hop in the more like pop music side, because mm. what happens is the like post narrow mind, we get the, darker hard-edged rap like the the gangster rap quote-unquote but you get the death row records you get the like the east coast the biggies and you get the wu-tang stuff and you get just like harder material you get you know some we we did the red man record you know like i wonder if he's kind of referring to the hip-hop dominance of mainstream music and by that he might not be wrong because i lean in and say I think even white America was pretty fucking bored of hair metal. Yeah. And like it had reached its logical conclusion. (laughs) Yeah. It was tired. I mean, like, like you think about, I'm a Motley Crue fan, right? And like, you like mid era Motley Crue, like around this time was like, it was tired and done. Like those guys don't remember being in the studio for the records that they were putting out at this point, you know? No. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. All right. So um, last piece, presentation on these presentation, artwork, everything like that. I think the album cover is awesome. I think it's it looks cool. great. I think yeah. it it might be part of the reason people still reference it as such a canonical part of the band. Because flat out, it's, it's not close to Nevermind. It's not close to In Utero to me. Like, it's half-baked. But the album is awesome looking. It looks cool. It know? looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it still looks kind of slick in a way. Like, I think it's also funny that the guitar player that was in the band for like three seconds is on the cover. <laughs> Doesn't even play yeah. this album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, good for him. He's got to yeah. feel yeah. good about that. Um, also, it's been ripped off one million times now. So. True. That, yeah. That's a sign that you did something right with your art. Yep. I read um, something today too. Well, I, I the one thing about this album that I think is hugely important, which I don't think I ever even realized, is this is the this is the the origin of the Nirvana font. 
which was essentially ah, like oh, an arbit- right, yeah. kind of like an arbitrary decision, essentially. Yes. Which is, I mean, I st- I still see that logo on T-shirts at Target now. You know what yes. I mean? So yeah, that's kind of crazy to think that someone like you know Kurt Cobain's girlfriend's friend like basically designs this album. Yep. And it's crazy. Hey, this font, Onyx. I think it's called Onyx. Nope, <laughs> it is. You're, it is. You're, you're the thing I read too, and Pete and I texted about it earlier. The original title for this album is amazing. Too many humans, which is yeah. <laughs> I think is great. Good. Yep. But they changed it to Bleach after seeing an advertisement for heroin use. It was an or it was an AIDS ad. Bleach your works before you get stoned. That was a, yeah. that's how they got the title Bleach, and. I, this is something that I don't know if it's a little bit more internet lorry, but the reason that they did that kind of like bleach bypass, you know, colored like that black and white change was because that original ad is black and white and has a similar aesthetic. So they kind of ripped off this ad, which is what influenced the cover. Yeah. It's having, amazing. Yeah. Having said all that, the picture of Kirk Cobain laying in a drum set, I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's perfect. It really it's great. Is. All right, so two quick questions before we leave, yes. um, and before or before we give our ratings. Yes, um, I think I know the answer to this. Is this anybody's favorite Nirvana album? No, no, liars. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Trying, yeah exactly. Trying exactly. So hard. Liars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. L- second question. This is the drummer question. If Grohl had recorded this record um, with them, how does it change the trajectory of the band? Uh, on radar more than they were, which for better might have been better, might have been worse. I think that this would have been better. I mean, from what I understand and from talking to people who saw Nirvana on, like, saw them at that Maxwell show in New yeah. Jersey, saw them in New York the first time they played New York City, there was a buzz around Nirvana right away. Like, people knew yeah. this is a band you got to go see, you know? Um, and it was felt like something was going on. You know, it was like, oh, okay. You know, um, so maybe they would have been a little bit more on radar. Um, maybe the a couple songs would have sounded a little better. I think song structures, etc., probably still would have been pretty similar. Maybe Nevermind doesn't drop like the atom bomb that it was, but maybe it still does. So I, I can't say if it would have been a huge impact or. Just kind of like, oh, it's just better because you had a a better drummer, right. you know? Right. Yeah. I think I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. The songs are the songs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's just tough because like like the only reason I asked that question is because it's such a dramatic leap from this to nevermind for me that I just I wonder what that would have been like had, you know, had he played on the record. But yeah. All right. So ratings what do you guys think i'll start us off <clears throat> i'm giving john, it what's that go ahead oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry john you know the the deal with the ratings yep. one, one through five yep. one yep. to five okay i am gonna start us off oh man guys it's tough i'm giving this a four okay based on the strength of about a girl in school wow and that those highs are so high. I have a hard time putting it lower. Ah, fuck. 
No, it's a three and a half. It's a three and a half. I can't, I can't do it. Those highs are so high, but that's then the rest. That's such a switch. I know it's a three and a that's, half. That's the most dramatic switch you've ever made. I on know this it's a three and a half because I love those songs. Like I legit love those songs. Yeah, and and this is yeah. I keep teasing this change in our ratings, but but I I the more I do this podcast, the more we talk about records. I just believe those true highs, like. When there's a track, it fucking matters. It matters. Um, and not every record we've done, maybe only half have songs that I'm like, yo, this is truly a track. And Yeah, only half of the records we've ever covered actually have tracks. And the this has About a Girl's certified track, and I think school's right there. And there's a couple other songs where I'm like, pretty close. It's pretty pretty close, you know? Um so uh yeah, it's it's a three and a half, but it's a really strong three and a half. All right, Pete. Uh, I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a two. Whoa, okay, yeah, dude. Here's the thing: the B side sucks. I know, I know. The B side sucks. The A side has like, and I. Bob, I agree with you. The highs are so high. Obviously, I'm a huge Nirvana fan. Yeah, I know you are. I think Blow is good. About a Girl is great. School is great. Love Buzz is good. Negative Creep is great. But like, man, overall, I love what they ultimately became, but what they ultimately became is not even really... It's it's hinted on on this record. There's, There's parts of it on this record, but like... As a record, I, I never came back. I, I never went back to it all that often over the course of, you know, the whatever, 20 odd years that I've been listening to Nirvana. But like, I don't see myself going back to it all that often now that I've done the deep dive either. So, yeah, that's my that's all my right. take. John, give us the guest rating. That is exactly where I land too. Wow. I, I I actually my my heart says three. Like yeah, I want to say three. <laughs> well, yeah, Bob Bob, Bob has done it in the way too, where it's like it's like a three three rating, but like five from my heart. Kind <sighs> yeah, of thing, you know you what? Know? Uh, it's really a three. Fuck. All right, you're, you're, you guys are dragging <laughs> me down because you're making good points. Yeah. It's a three. It's a yeah. three, and I'm being generous because of those highs. God damn it! All right, it's a three. And I'm yeah, and I'm giving it a two for the exact same reasons that Pete said. I I love this band. I like I said, one of my favorite Nirvana songs is on this album. They have other great songs on this album, but I mean, I got so much other live versions of these songs that are better. That I after this week, I'm kind of happy that we've done this podcast and we've talked about it because this album for me is going to probably go back into cold storage for a while. Right. I I don't. Yeah, it's no, it's, a, I, it's a two I, for me. I, I think you guys are right about that. Damn, I just about a girl in school are such cool songs to me. They're great. It is gonna go, and I think I might be the third biggest Nirvana fan of the three of us. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, well, you guys talked me down to a three, <laughs> even though my heart was staying four because those highs. Um, <laughs> but I am also really tired, so we'll see. Um, Anything else that we want to touch on? Did you have any other questions, Peter? Are we feeling good? I think we just touched on the final question. Uh, are you guys adding this to your collection? I mean, 
but that's an obvious one, I think. Do we all have it? I have I have I have a CD of it somewhere. Okay. John, you have it. I, I have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I have it. All right. Yeah. John, did you have any questions? I don't it's I have one question. It's a, Let's okay. close it with might, that. Yeah. It, it, it might be a little long, so we don't have to close on it. Oh, let's you, do it. it. The sliding door scenario. Mm. Bleach as an EP. What's your track oh, yeah. list? Uh, all right. I'll give you mine. Uh, it's the... Ooh, about a girl, A-side. B-side is school and... Negative creep, done. Three song single. Wow, wow. All right, I'm going to say open with about a girl. Um, school. That's the A side. B side is negative creep. Into blow. Okay, I I might have cheated a little bit. So Let's I went it. with the, the six track EP. Okay. I actually kept the first three songs intact. My first side was blue, uh, blue, mm-hmm. uh, Floyd and about a girl. And then okay. I, I actually start the next side with, I start with school, yep. which then goes to the negative creep. And then I think I keep sifting. I think I okay. keep that song. Okay. Fair I, enough. But, but negative creep, I eliminate the fade out. That's the one thing I'm I would with change. That. I'm yeah. with that. That's a good little yeah. EP. I like it. All right, everybody. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TraxPod. And you're going to send emails to TraxPod at gmail.com. And we'll give you John's personal address. You can mail him copies of your uh, <laughs> Nirvana Bleach GP. Yo, John, thank you so much for joining us. This is awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. All right. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. Good night.